Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. Yesterday I uh, had a wedding in the area and I was talking to the families and one of the extended families in this wedding would worship with us regularly when they came to town from Pennsylvania and they commented on how beautiful the music is here in San Marino Community Church and it continues with our wonderful singers, so thank you. At that wedding, the text of scripture chosen by the couple for that special occasion was from the first chapter of Ruth. This is a story of loyalty. It's also a refugee story. I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us from the book of Ruth. It was in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. Now the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went into the country of Moab and and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And when they had lived there for about ten years, both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then the story goes on. Naomi encourages her two daughters-in-law to go back to their own families and clan in Moab, and she's going to return to Judah. But Ruth, one of the daughters-in-law, responds, but Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, if even death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Will you join me in prayer? And so, gracious God, we come once again, the beginning of this new week, the beginning of this summer, and we come to hear your word, so quiet within us any voice but your own that we may receive what you have for us today in Christ our Lord. Amen. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the old comic strip strip, Calvin and Hobbes. In one particular comic strip, Calvin is seated at the desk in his bedroom with a book open, and he turns to Hobbes, his stuffed tiger, and he says, Look, Dad made me do my homework. He said, when I'm older, I'll discover there are few pleasures greater than learning. So I said, fine, I'll learn when I'm older. (laughs) 
Hobbes asks, what did he say? Calvin replies, he said if I didn't crack the books right now, this is as old as I'm going to get. <laughs> Hobbes responded, sounds like you've learned something already. <laughs> Being a father is filled with challenges. Teddy Roosevelt once quipped, I can govern the United States or I can govern my daughter Alice, but I can't do both. <laughs> it's the small things that matter when it comes to parenting. Being consistent, maintaining high standards, confronting and challenging, encouraging and disciplining and supporting. And it turns out that the small things are really not that small after all. I don't think there is any theme more universal in the story of salvation than that of reversal. Throughout the Bible, there is no theme more consistent than upside-down perspectives. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. You have to lose your life to find it. Big, important people are not nearly as important as you think they are. It's the unimportant people who are actually pretty important in the whole scheme of things. The Lord always seems to choose the least likely and the most surprising people for service. I mean, just think of it. Moses is half Egyptian. And he's on the run for murder. And by his own admission, he's a terrible public speaker, and yet he becomes the liberating leader of a nation. David's the runt of the litter, a little shepherd boy who goes up against a giant with courage as big as Goliath. Mary is a young teen from a no-name family and the living God enters the universe in the form of a completely helpless baby born in an out-of-the-way place in a barn to a poor, unsuspecting couple in the middle of nowhere. Even throughout the story, money-grabbing tax collectors and prostitutes turn out to be the people with more virtue than the religious officials. And the radically and racially impure Samaritan, a half-breed, turns out to demonstrate more compassion than the representatives of God and the preachers of purity. Jesus said, whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Become like a child? What a reversal, what a paradox. What upside-down thinking this gospel has. Perhaps you remember the 1967 film entitled, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? The movie starred Spencer Tracy and Katherine Hepburn as Mr. and Mrs. Drayton, an upper-class, upper-middle-class, Roman Catholic, Caucasian couple struggling with their ideas about race and love after their daughter brings home her black fiance, Dr. John Wade Prentice, who was played by Sidney Portier, 
The film won two Oscar awards. It was a fascinating insight into the difficulty of dislodging long-held beliefs and prejudices. Confronting entrenched attitudes about race in America is always threatening and disturbing. I mean, it's one thing to hold a grand view, a worldview of inclusiveness, but it's quite another thing to accept someone of another race or ethnicity or nationality or class into your own family. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where you have to confront your own views of prejudice. So the story of Ruth comes to us from some 2,600 years ago. And it could perhaps be entitled, Guess Who Aunt Naomi's Bringing Home? It's about an outsider who demonstrates the very values and the moral gravitas that the people of God are supposed to demonstrate. It's a reversal for this Moabite woman to actually so show such character and loyalty that her mother-in-law and then future husband Boaz both become who they are already supposed to be, faithful. And the whole story begins, as I read just a moment ago, in grief and disappointment and bitterness. And two generations of women are left to fend for themselves after the death of their husbands in a foreign land. Naomi was the immigrant to Moab. She'd left Israel in a time of famine to find a better life for her family, but things turned out badly. And she was preparing to return home with her tail between her legs, hopeless and broken. But her daughter-in-law, Ruth, would not leave her. These two women were going to go it together, whatever that meant. They were not going to allow each other to go it alone. And they made their way forward when there was no way forward that they could see. Their loyalty to one another turned grief into gratitude, and the whole story ends in a happy way. Ruth's character and commitment catches the attention of Boaz, the wealthy landowner, and soon they fall in love, and they're married, and it's all a all-lived-happily-ever-after kind of story. But just think for a moment how radical that story must have been 2,600 years ago. In a time when the nation was turning towards purification, denigrating outsiders, denigrating the intermarriage with foreigners, there was a growing exclusivism, kind of a let's make Israel great again. And they lived in a patriarchal society, a patriarchal society that was demanding that men step up and live with some integrity, be the head of the family, take your faith and responsibilities more seriously and keep your promises. And in that kind of environment, we have this story of reversal where a Moabite woman, an immigrant, 
demonstrates the very courage and character and loyalty that's demanded of God's people. Ruth goes well above and beyond the call of duty, showing loyalty that reverses the fortunes of everybody involved in the story and invites everyone to live by that same faith and hope and love that she demonstrates and lives out. You know, today, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, once largely limited to poor women and minorities, single motherhood is now becoming the new norm. And this prevalence is due in part to the growing trend of children being born outside of marriage, a societal trend that was virtually unheard of decades ago. About four out of 10 children born in this country are born to unwed mothers. Nearly two thirds were born to mothers under the age of 30. And today, one in four children under the age of 18, a total of about 17.2 million, are being raised without a father. Of all the single parents, single parent families in the United States, single mothers make up the majority, according to the 2017 census, out of about 12 million single parent families with children under the age of 18, more than 80% are headed by single mothers. So apparently in our country today, we're not doing a very good job of taking care of our families, especially fathers. And fathers have a long way to go towards shouldering their responsibility for the children they've brought into the world. On this Father's Day, there's a clarion call, it seems to me, in our country for fathers to step up and show some moral courage. In preparing for this sermon today and for today's worship service, I wondered how on earth am I going to preach on a passage about Ruth on Father's Day? I mean, was I not paying attention when the preaching schedule was put together? I mean, who's responsible for that? Oh, I am. I am. There's so many great father stories in the Bible. <coughs> Why on earth am I preaching on Ruth on Father's Day? It turns out that's the point of the story. Here we have this foreign woman, the most unexpected example who demonstrates that character and that responsibility and that loyalty and that resolve that puts to shame those who have so much more but lack any moral courage. Here's a woman who demonstrates what it means to be a father. Didn't really see that one coming. Reversal, there's a paradox. That's upside down thinking. And throughout the biblical narrative, God uses the least likely to guide us towards faithfulness. 
Take this story of Peter and Cornelius in the New Testament, a story of expanding vision and prejudice confronted. Cornelius is arguably the first Gentile welcomed into the family of Christian faith, the first non-Jewish family baptized. But it wasn't his baptism that created turmoil in the early church. It was dinner. Why do you go and eat with uncircumcised men? Asked the Jewish believers of Peter when he returned to Jerusalem. I mean, it's not unlike guess who's coming to dinner. A parallel today might be a Palestinian hosting a Jewish soldier in the West Bank or on the Gaza Strip. And the fact that he ate with them was what triggered an inquisition. The incident is just dripping with political and racial tension. But the early church came to the conclusion quickly that the gospel of Jesus Christ was not only for those who've been waiting for it, waiting for the Messiah among the Jewish people. The gospel was for everyone, everywhere. The old racial and class boundaries are gone. The old national and gender exclusions are done with. The old ways of thinking and structuring the world in terms of us and them are out the window. There's a new kind of community that's beginning, a new kind of humanity, a new way of relating in the world And when finally Peter is able to find his voice and begin to speak, he puts it this way. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That's precisely the insight of the book of Ruth. And in our time, we struggle to think about nations and borders and huge migrations of people over the face of the earth. We might be well served to remember that some of what we consider outsiders are actually those who embody the values of our country better than those who've been living here for generations. The story of Ruth begins in grief, but it ends happily ever after because of her loyalty that inspires the very best in everyone else. Loyalty begets loyalty. So let something start with you. You can change the outcome of someone's life. You can change the outcome of your family's life or even our nation by demonstrating loyalty and going above and beyond the call of duty to real commitment. You can become a moral hero yourself by attending to the small things and the simple dedication to your own integrity your own moral courage and care for others in your own life. 
I want you to think back for just a moment to the first time you learned to ride a bike. Where were you? How old were you? What did the street or the sidewalk or the alley or the parking lot look like where you learned to ride a bike? And who was there helping you to learn how to balance and pedal and to find the courage to overcome your fear of falling and your fear of incompetence? Was it perhaps your father who ran up and down the sidewalk with you until you learned how to ride by yourself? Perhaps your mother, or maybe a grandmother, Naomi, or an Aunt Ruth? If you're like me, there were several times when I was careening down some sidewalk thinking I was under my own power and I looked up behind my shoulder and there was my father's hand under the seat helping me to keep from either going too slow to keep my balance or careening to the right or to the left. And I suspect as you discovered the thrill of riding by yourself and found your own balance on that bike and in life, I hope your father was still behind you, kind of receding into the background, still cheering you on, still encouraging you forward. The fact of the matter is, fathers cannot ride bicycles for their children. Eventually, every child must learn how to ride for themselves must find the courage to overcome scraped knees and the confidence to believe in themselves that they can do it, to discover their own capabilities and their own balance, eventually without the steadying hand on the seat. Wherever you are in life today, whether you're sending off a child to nursery school or to college, or whether you're walking a child down this aisle, to give them away in holy matrimony, or whether you're putting a child on an airplane for a new job, it's not easy to let go, and it's not easy to let them do it on their own. But it would be a disservice to our children if we don't let go, if we don't let them go. So today we're thankful for our fathers and for all who helped us find our own sense of equilibrium in life, though they were not perfect. That's actually good news. Because we don't have to be perfect either in order to love, in order to provide loyalty, to take on responsibility, and to support others. When we pray, to our Father who art in heaven, we can be thankful that no matter how wobbly we seem to be careening down the road of life, the Lord is never far from a steadying hand or an encouraging, you can do this. And our Heavenly Father has promised, I am with you and will never leave or forsake you. All you need is a little moral courage and a little integrity, and you'll be all right.
Thanks be to God. Amen.